Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with an NBA legend and three-time Hall of Famer, Lenny Wilkins. All right, let's do this. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone, and today on the program, I'm joined by an NBA legend. As a player, he was a nine-time All-Star. He's been inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame on three separate occasions. Ladies and gentlemen, Lenny Wilkins. Lenny, thanks for coming on the program. Oh, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. You're one of the few guys I can ask this question. How, How did or would you coach... Lenny Wilkins. You're one of the few guys that said you actually did it. <laughs> well, hey, I was, yeah, I was a player coach, uh, you know, and, uh, and um, you know, I, I, I think uh, there's so, there are a couple of things important, and I tell young coaches this today. Uh, number one is preparation, okay? Uh, you need to be prepared. And if you're prepared, you can prepare your team. You have to know everything about your opponent. You have to know what kind of defense you're going to play, how you're going to do it, how you're going to rotate, who covers where. You know, I mean, these are things you work on talk about. Also, uh, I'm going to maximize your talent. Uh, I'll know what you do well. And then I'm, I want to take advantage of that. You know, how's the best way for me to utilize your ability to produce on the floor? So that's important. And, and to do all those things, you have to be able to communicate, right? I mean, you're going to know from day one what I expect, you know, and how I'm going to go about it. Uh, you know, we have to learn to respect one another. Respect's a two-way street. If you want it, you have to give it. So I think those are some important things that right from the beginning, players have to know because they got to know how they fit in, you know, and, and how they can help. Yeah, in my, in my experience, and I probably played for seven or eight managers in my career, and when I'm mm-hmm. asked about it today, I, you know, I, I pick pieces from each one, uh, you know, their attributes, sure. I thought, that really resonated with me. And I always felt the best managers, it doesn't mean that the 25 guys are now 26 from a Major League Baseball standpoint. It doesn't mean that 26 <laughs> men, it doesn't mean 26 men love the skipper at all times. That, that's far from what a great manager. But what I found the really good ones did is exactly kind of alluding to what you were talking about. They got the best out of their players. It, and it doesn't, you know, maybe I needed to, Maybe he needed to come over and kick this guy in the butt. Maybe he needed to go hug this guy to get the same result, putting their players in the best position that they could from, from a coach or a manager to succeed. Well, uh, you know, uh, Brad, I, I see, I agree with that. And, uh, you know, and a lot of people, well, some do, a lot of people don't know, you know, I, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, I was a big Dodger fan. Okay. Uh, everybody who lived in Brooklyn at that time was a Dodger fan. And, uh, and I got to know, I knew every player on that Dodger team. And, uh, and I had a close friend who I grew up with a guy named Tommy Davis and, uh, and Tommy was a great athlete, you know, and, and he's the one that kind of pushed me more towards basketball than baseball. But when the Dodgers were playing and I was in town, uh, Walter Olson was very gracious to allow me to come in the locker room. And, and I thought that Walter, a lot of those things we talked about with his players, because they had the utmost respect for him. They listened and they were ready to compete every time they stepped on the field. Yeah. It's fascinating to me that the dynamic and when, <clears throat> when I was a young player, uh, one of my earliest, um, managers was a guy by the name of Davey Johnson and 
Cincinnati Reds. And I remember I was a young player. And, and Lenny, if you knew me as a young player, my hair was on fire and I was swinging hard. <laughs> you know, I, I had a lot to learn. But he was, a fellow, he was a fellow second baseman the generation before me. And we butted heads quite a bit. The time I played for him, I had some great years. But, man, it seemed like he was so hard on me. And I'd watch how he treated some other players. They're like, well, why is he so hard on me? You know, I'm young. I'm this and that. Years later, I looked back, and, and I've talked to Davey at length about it. Yeah, he's probably the greatest manager I ever had. And, but it took mm-hmm. me a little experience, a little time to look back, and I laugh. And I said, Davey, you know, when we used to argue and this and that, and he would laugh. And he, I said, you know, it took me years. But I looked back, and I said, I knew what you were trying to do. Now I get it. He goes, Brett, he goes, at the time that I had you, he said, I'd had a little experience. I kind of knew what I was doing. I said, you actually did it. He got the most out of me. He knew how to push those buttons. And it didn't mean I was always happy about it. But looking back, it was it was great. It was almost like I was being punked. And I said, now I get what he was trying to do. But th- these are the little things that we get on our journey, You know, whether it be the NBA, whether it be the NFL or, or Major League Baseball, things we learn. And, and we're still learning. I'm still learning. I'm 53 now. <clears throat> And I think I know a lot about the game of baseball, but it never, it never, uh, it never fails. I'll, I'll always come up. I'll wake up one day, and you know, I have a son playing in the minor leagues. He'll, he'll, he'll say, "Dad, what do you think about this scenario?" And I said, "You know what? I've never thought about it like that, but that's interesting." So I can still <laughs> yeah. learn from these young kids coming up now. The game's a little bit different, but but still the same in so many ways. You mentioned growing up in Brooklyn. Tell me about Lenny Wilkins as a little kid. Well, um, you know, my dad died when I was five. So uh, my mother was my first role model. And, and, and the biggest thing she used to say, you got to be proud of who you are, you know. But um, there was a church I used to go to, Holy Rosary. And there was a priest that was like a big brother. And if she didn't like who I was hanging out with, she'd ask him to talk to me. And uh, his name was Father Tom Mannion. But we used to call them iron hands because when he grabbed a hold of you, you couldn't get away. And uh, and he used to talk to me all the time. And he would say he had a quote uh, was that who promised you? And, uh, you know, at first he used to piss me off and I I kind of look at him. But then after a while, I began to understand that uh, no one can promise you life's going to be easy. Okay. So what you have to do is you got to hear, you got to listen, and and you got to make good choices, you know. So after a while, I began to really understand what he was talking about. Uh, I was very fortunate. The other guy that I met was Jackie Robinson. I used to deliver groceries to his home, and and I got to talk to him, and he was very gracious. He was very tough-minded, you know. He was fierce, ferocious on the field, but he had great respect and and he was smart. So those were probably my first two role models. And, and then, you know, I began to watch. And then in life, you know, you start to meet people. And as you meet people, you take a little of something away because you see who they are, how they carry themselves, you know, and what contributes to their success. So as a youngster, I was very blessed. Uh, Even though my dad died when I was quite young, uh, I had a couple of good role models, and those people were outstanding. Wow, the Jackie Robbins. I mean, how how cool is that? I mean, to to get to hang out with them and talk and, and, uh, you know, just knowing a little bit of the history of the game. And and from what I know, obviously Jackie's numbers retired throughout the, the major league baseball, but, but when he went through in the trials and the tribulations to get, oh, I, mean, I mean, that's gotta be, that is, that is freaking awesome. That is awesome. And, yeah. and not too many people I've met, you know, had the, had the pleasure to sit down and actually talk to Jackie, but, and what, a, what, a what he did for the game, you know, just the trail. Blade. Yeah. I, mean, I learned so really much cool about him. That. You know, I, I watched him steal home plate. I saw that I was at Ebbets field. Really? <laughs> uh, oh man, that was something. And then, then I, I began to learn other things, too. You know, uh, he in college, he was in ROTC. Uh, in college, I went to ROTC, and, and mainly because of him. I mean, the first two years were mandatory, but it, other than that, it wasn't. But I went to advanced ROTC. So when I graduated, 
I graduated uh, also as a second lieutenant, you know, in the military. So, you know, like I said, you, you just learn so much from people, you know, and how they carry themselves. Uh, my other favorite on that team, well, they all were, but was Gil Hodges, first base, because that's what I play. I played first base, and I never saw anyone that could feel the ball like him. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, you went to boys high school, kind of a famous high school in, uh, yes. out in New York. Uh, and you mentioned mm. playing first base. So you're, you're playing hoops, obviously. Uh, but baseball was, did you love it or, or was basketball always your, your, your passion? Well, both of them were, I, I, I did love it. Uh, you know, because growing up in my neighborhood, we played stick ball, handball, box ball, punch ball, anything but a ball. And, um, so, uh, and then finally I, I went out for the team when I was a freshman, the basketball team. And, uh, and they had 15 guys on the team. I was number 15. So I didn't get to play much, but, uh, we had a great coach and, uh, I, you know, I had a little job after school. So I dropped off the team, uh, and, uh, to help the family. Uh, but uh, continued to play baseball, and I started to play basketball a little bit more, going to the playgrounds. I, I played for the PAL. I played uh, CYO ball. And my junior year is when I saw that all of a sudden uh, the game started to become easy for me. And uh, so Tommy insisted I come out for the high school team again. So I came out my junior year and made the starting five. And we we had a hell of a team. I graduated in the middle of the year, so I didn't play in the playoffs. But uh, our coach was a guy named Mickey Fisher, who uh, used to always say to me that I had great court vision. I didn't know what he was talking about at first, but then after a while, I began to understand. That's amazing. Our our fates were kind of flipped. I mean, my junior year in high school is when I started realizing that ah, baseball's kind of my ticket. I loved hoops and I loved playing, but I, the writing was on the wall. It's this this five mm-hmm. ten point guard sure. probably didn't have an NBA career in his future. So that's when I kind of switched over to baseball full time after my junior year. You went to Providence College. How'd you get there? What what why Providence? Well, uh, this Father Mannion wrote to. Uh, the coach at uh, the athletic director at Providence College, and and suggest ask them to take a look at me, because uh, you know uh, when I graduate in the middle of the year, a lot of them see me play that much, and uh, and like I said, I, I only played a half a year of high school ball. So when Joe Mullaney, who was the coach of Providence, came down to watch the PS. PSAL champions, that's the public school athletic league, to see the, the high school champions. Uh, he talked to me, gave me a brochure. I mailed it in, but I wasn't playing. But that summer, I was eligible to play in uh, a lot of postseason tournaments. And they had one at the, it was called the Flushing Y MCA tournament. And I played in that tournament, and we won it, uh, the team I was on, and I was the MVP. And Joe Mullaney, who was the coach of Providence, his dad happened to be at that game. And he saw me and he called Joe and he said, this can't be the same kid that wants to go to Providence. And next thing I know, I I, I hear from them. I got a scholarship. I wasn't worried about my marks. My marks were good, but I got a full board scholarship. And, uh, And that's how I wound up at Providence. 59 and 60, you were an All-American. Two, NI, two NITs. NIT back then, that was a, that's a bigger deal than it is today, wasn't it? Yes, it was. It, it was bigger than the NC2A. And, yeah, that's uh, what, that's what I've, I've heard. Yeah. Yeah, everybody wanted to go to that, you know. And there were even teams, big, big teams, turning down the NCAA tournament to go to the NIT. Is, is that right? That's that they would hold off sending their bid in because they wanted to go to the NIT. You had a great career, at Providence College. Your number fourteen uh, retired there, and in nineteen sixty, uh, you entered the NBA draft. And 
that, that was a big draft. You had Oscar Robinson and Jerry West were one and two. You were the sixth overall pick uh, by the St. Louis, Louis Hawks. Um, you know, this is the part I love about it. When I get somebody from, a, you know, one of the di- different big sports, uh, because baseball is so much different. It's a minor league journey. It's, hey, you're going to start an A ball, mm-hmm. double A, triple A, whereas NBA, NFL, you're going straight there. And I'm always interested in the jump. And for, for baseball, the jump is is strictly a speed thing. It's just everybody's a little yeah. bit faster at that top level. And I'm assuming it's that way in the other sports. But for you coming straight out of college to the NBA, was that a big adjustment for you? And uh, Well, it, it, it was a big adjustment. Uh, you know, I mean, I uh, – uh, but it was one that it was kind of interesting. I was prepared for you know, right after the NIT, they had what was called the East-West College All-Star Game. So all the top players who were in the East and all the top players in the West played each other at Madison Square Garden. And Jerry West and I got the co-MVP award. Uh, you know, and uh, that was really interesting. Uh, and then later on, when they had the NBA draft, I was drafted by the uh, St. Louis Hawks. And I had never seen a, a, a live pro game. Uh, and so what happened is they sent the scout up to Providence, to talk to me. And mm-hmm. when he came up, uh, uh, one of the guys on our basketball team was a big Celtic fan and said, see if he can get us tickets to the game. So I asked, I didn't know if he could. and. And he said, sure, you know, and he took me and my buddy Dick Whalen, uh, we, uh, to the Boston Celtics and they were happened to be playing the St. Louis Hawks for the NBA championship. And I, as I was watching the game, it, it's funny, you know, you're young and you got a lot of confidence and so forth. And, and when I saw the St. Louis Hawks guards, I thought I could compete, compete with them. So that's what I said. I think I could do that. Shoot. You got to be like that. Um, NBA was different back then. Tell me about the league back then from a physicality standpoint. Uh, it was different than it is in the modern game that we see today. In your, oh. your rookie year, 61, you guys ended up going to the, the finals your first season. And, and, ironically yeah. losing to that Celtic team. But talk to me about the league and the physicality at that time. Well, the league was, it was very physical, very aggressive. I mean, they allow players to put their hands on your hip that kind of steer you a little bit. And, you know, and you have to learn how to get away from people. Uh, I knew any time that I drove to the basket, I was going to get fouled or hit, you know. So I was prepared. You prepare yourself for that. But the game, like I said, uh, you didn't just walk up the court. People were bumping you, you know, they set screens, they set hard screens because they wanted to knock you down. So it was a much more physical game. It changed over the years. Uh, you know, uh, some of the rules I think were good. Some I, I don't think were good, you know, but, uh, but it was a physical game and, uh, and, and life was a little bit different back then too. Um, because uh, there were very few minorities in the NBA at that time. Uh, but um, I didn't worry about the guys on the team. The, the only guy that I knew, I knew how to get the ball to people. And so I made sure that uh, I was going to get the ball to Bob Pettit when he was open. And he sort of became uh, someone who wanted me on the floor because I could penetrate and find the open man and, and you know, get them some easy shots. So, so, you know, it changed. It's not as physical today. Today it's a, a shooter's world, you know. Uh, they, uh, you can't touch anybody. Um, you know, there's one rule. If you, uh, if you get stuck in the backcourt with the ball and you call timeout, you can move it forward. Well, back then you couldn't. I mean, that to me penalizes the defense. So, so it's still a good game, great athletes in the game but not as physical as it was when I was a player. You had some great years in St. Louis. You're an all-star in 63, 64, 65, 67. 
Uh, 68, you head to Seattle, my old stomping grounds. Um, and this is where it gets really interesting for me. I was trying to think of a somebody to compare you to, and, and I really couldn't find anybody. Somebody that's kind of you're in your heyday of your career. You're, you're at your peak, and you're also going to take over as the coach. The only one I can think of is Pete Rose. But it was a little bit different for Pete because he was at the end of his career. He was mm-hmm. a part-time player. He wasn't going to All-Star games when he was when he was running the show. You were. <laughs> I, I, I got questions. Yeah. Were you, did you hang with the players or were you in the coach's office? <laughs> and how, uh, how did that, that – I don't know. Could it be done today in today's, in today's world? No, no. Can't be done today. That that it was tough. It was difficult. Uh, it was funny because um, I was there one year as uh, I had gotten traded. The Hawks and I had a contract problem, <clears throat> and I wouldn't sign the contract they offered me, and they traded me to Seattle. You know, to a team that was an expansion team, and they figured that I couldn't hurt them being there. But uh, Anyway, after one year, uh, I got to know the general manager real well, and uh, the owner, they fired the coach, and they asked me, uh, they want me to be a player coach. And I told the general manager, I said, you got to be crazy. And he said, well, you run the team anyway, you know. And, and it was so close to training camp that I decided, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try it. And so I go home and I tell my wife, you know, and she said to me, you'll love this one. You know, she said, you got to be either stupid or crazy. And I know you're not crazy, you know, so, uh, but, uh, I took over and, you know, I knew how to get the ball to people. I knew what, how important defense was in the game and, and how to run a practice. And uh, I had one player on the team who was a veteran player named Tom Sherry, And I wanted him to watch when I was out there so that if I needed the blow to get me out of the game. And I talked with Tom about that. And then, you know, and I had gotten to know a college coach uh, out here in Seattle by the name of Marv Harshman, who was coaching the University of Washington. And, and he and I used to do a little sports show. So I asked him, would he come to practice and evaluate what I was doing? Let me know where I need to get better at or whatever. And he was a very gracious guy, and he did. And uh, so, uh, but today, you you couldn't do it. Uh, it's uh, The guys come in very young, very talented, and you got to spend much more time showing, explaining, preparing them. Uh, for the what they have to face out on the court. And, and in addition to that, they have so many outside distractions. It's in, unbelievable. I mean, at the time, though, you know, you went home and you said your, your wife was saying you're crazy. But it had to be kind of in your mind. You're thinking it's kind of the ultimate compliment. It's like we think so much of this young man that we know the great player that he is, but to, to run the show at the same time, I'm thinking put in that scenario, you got to take the opportunity. It's like, nobody else gets this, yeah. this opportunity. Yeah. I thought it was, it'd be pretty darn cool. I mean, you're out there, you know, you're the assist leader and you're winning the MVP of the all-star game in 71. And by the way, you're also, you're also coaching the team calling practices, getting guys in the huddle. All right, here's what we're going to do. It had to be exhausting at some point. Well, uh, listen, but, you know, but it's something you like, you love, you know. I mean, I really enjoyed working with the players, talking with them, explaining, you know, giving them my thoughts and stuff like that. So uh, that helped. And and the fact that I had su- success with it, that makes all the difference, okay? Because, you know, you, you, you see talent and you, you, you know that, you can help make good decisions about the talent. And uh, so that, uh, when I took over full-time and, and came back to the team, uh, and uh, they had a trade going, they were going to trade Freddie Brown, and I wouldn't let them, uh, and the owner backed me, and I said, no, he's too good a player. We, I said that uh, he would really help us, and, and I got them to draft Jack Sigma who uh, they wanted, they didn't want at first. And when I drafted him in the papers, it said it had a big question mark in front. Jack who, you know, and, but I had seen him play and, and for a guy 6'10", 
he could rebound, he could score, he could make free throws, you know. And uh, and I just said, no, this guy could really help us. So I made a trade for Gus Williams, you know, and uh, uh, made a couple of other trades. And uh, and and when I saw, but I I got a little glimpse of that when I was with Portland, you know. Um, I had uh, after I was a player coach uh, when. Sonics got a new general manager and they traded me to Cleveland because they wanted me to play or coach. They didn't want me to do both, the new general manager. And I said I was going to play, so he traded me. And uh, so I stayed in Cleveland for a year. And then the next year I worked for CBS. And then I went to uh, Portland. Uh, well, the year before that I went to Portland. And I was a player coach uh, at once I got there, they wanted me to be a player coach. And I had the final say on the draft, and I drafted a guy named Bobby Gross and Lionel Hollins. And um, the general manager didn't agree with that, nor did the, the owner, one of the owners. So after my year there uh, as a player coach, they wanted me to retire. And so I said, fine. I said, the, the players that I pick are really going to help this team. Uh, but, you know, uh, I'm not, uh, I'll, it's your team. You do what you want to. So that's the year I worked for CBS. But all the players that I picked for Portland helped them because Bill Walton stayed healthy and they won a championship. And they won a championship with all the players that I picked. So it just reconfirmed that I knew the talent. And um, so a year later, after working for CBS, I went back to Seattle and that's when I was able to help them get to the finals. We didn't win it that year, but a year later we won the championship. Yeah. You mentioned Lionel Holland. See, now you're, now you're bringing about back memories of, of my childhood, you know, growing up and I grew up in New Mm -hmm. Jersey and watching all those Philly teams and Lionel Hollins ended up being one of those, you know, I was an Andrew, Tony, yeah. uh, Dr. Right. J Bobby Jones was the sixth man. Right. Uh, yes. <laughs> and Moses Malone came in. I mean, that's, that's my heyday, Letty. I remember those yeah. short shorts. I loved it. That's my, and usually you go back right. to your childhood and some of your favorite moments, but I love those Sixers teams in the seventies. Right. Now you mentioned Bill Walt. We had him on the program uh, a month or so ago. Now that's a character right there. How was coaching him oh, yeah. in Portland? <laughs> what a piece well, of work. I couldn't get a word. Yes, in it was. Well, we became friends later on, not in the beginning. Uh, because, you know, he, he, he did such crazy stuff and, you know, he, uh, was, uh, you know, never in good shape, uh, because of some of the stuff that he was doing and, uh, and, 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 and he always wanted to have a say. And, and, and so he came up to me on time and he says, uh, oh, this guy ain't shit. He, he ain't nothing. You know? And I said, you know something, Bill, they think the same way about you. And he looked at me, you know, but years later after, you know, I, I was the one that told them if he stayed healthy, he'd help them win a championship. And he did, he stayed healthy. He got his lifestyle changed around a little bit. And, and years later he came to me and apologized and we became uh, decent friends. He moved on. He went to the Supersonics now just as a coach. I mean, and now you'll cut half. You could concentrate now. Uh, you were there from 77 to 85, back to Seattle. Did you enjoy coming back to Seattle after stops in Cleveland and Portland? Was it kind of a coming home for you to come back to the Supersonics? It, it really was. It, it really was. You know, uh, I mean, we had great fans there. There was one game when I first came back and I was uh, with Portland. I was a player coach. Uh, uh, I was with Cleveland rather when I got traded to Cleveland and we played Seattle and, uh, and Cleveland had never beaten Seattle and we beat them. And, but the, in the arena, there were signs everywhere saying, this is Lenny's country. And, uh, my wife was very nervous. She didn't want to go to the game, but friends talked her into coming because we had kept a home here. And, um, and the fans cheered and rooted throughout the whole game for me. 
so yeah, it, it, it was like a homecoming. It was wonderful. And, uh, you know, our kids grew up here and, uh, and we still, uh, make our home here. I have a son who lives in Georgia though, cause he, he worked with me there, but, uh, but we have great fans here. Uh, they huge basketball fans. It's a good sports town. And, uh, you know, so a lot of good memories. Yeah. My time in Seattle at, uh, early 2000s going to Sonics games. Uh, It's a great, it's a great town. Uh, You mentioned Jack Sigma. We had him on the program. Interesting guy for the time. You mentioned the 6'10 guy that could, that could shoot the lights out. Um, Mm -hmm. 79, uh, 78, go 42 and 18, 70, 79. You guys win the championship, beat the Lakers and get to the bullets, end up winning the whole thing. You're the all-star coach. You're the all-star coach in 80. But winning that championship, and they're so elusive. I talk about it on the program all the time. At the at the highest level, they're so tough. And to watch whoever wins, you know, the Super Bowl, uh, the World Series, the NBA championship, I always take a look uh, when they're when they're hoisting that trophy, and I just think, I hope you guys enjoy this because they're really hard to win. And there's so many great players in all the sports that never get that opportunity and and never get to win one. But man, it had to be unbelievable for you. Uh, Take me through that championship year in 79 and how did the city react to it when, when you won it all? Oh, it was incredible. Uh, And like you said, you know, there's no guarantee that when you get to the championship, uh, that you're going to win it or that you're ever going to get back to it. But, uh, it, it, it was wonderful. In fact, uh, you know, we, we played uh, Washington bullets and we, uh, beat them in Washington. And, and, and I had told the team before the game, I said, we got to go out here and win. I said, listen, there's no guarantee, but we got a chance to put them away now. Let's give it our best shot. And and we won it there. And all we heard about the celebrations in Seattle, but when we flew back, there were 20,000 people at the airport. It was incredible. And then two days later, they had a parade in downtown Seattle. There was 200,000 people at the parade. And, and the people didn't destroy anything. They were celebrating. I mean, it was it was uh, wonderful. Uh, it's, it's not something that you experience every day or will ever experience again. You're right. So when you get your opportunity, uh, you have to do it. And, and I had a lot of memories. I was just watching uh, baseball. I watched Dusty Baker win his first uh, uh, world championship. And mm. I've watched those guys, and it brought back so many memories of winning uh, the NBA championship. So yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's a huge achievement, you know, and, uh, and I feel very blessed and honored that I was able to do that. Yeah, it's cool. It was cool seeing Dusty. Dusty's one of those guys in the game that, that, uh, I never played for him, played against him for years. Uh, Mm -hmm. never heard a negative word for anybody that's ever played again. And and it's kind of, uh, unanimous when I talk to other players. Hey, do you ever play for Dusty? No, but I love him. It, it, but it, he yeah. makes you feel like you did play for him. You know, as an opponent, I'd remember going into wherever he was managing at the time. Right, and uh, right. I, I'd say I'd bump into Dusty. I'd say hi. And it felt like I was playing for him. He's one of those guys mm-hmm. that has that that aura about him. And it was really cool. Yeah. You know, think of that. I mean, he's been at it, played 20 years in the big leagues, I think, 30 years right. as a manager. And he finally got the big one. And uh, that was yeah. that was really cool to see. I think a lot of people around the game uh, were happy for Dusty. Um, had some great years in Seattle. You're off to Cleveland. Um, you're going to coach the All-Star game in 89. <laughs> Tough time. That's when Jordan comes in. And it's the Bulls, and and you went to you had a lot of battles with them in the postseason. Talk about those years in Cleveland a little bit. And we had uh, I had Charles on the on the program Barkley, and and he likes to tell the Jordan stories. But how good was he at that time? Was he that? I I just watch him from an outsider, and I you know I watched the documentary they had him on Netflix, and how matter of fact he was, and and I kind of I kind of enjoyed the you know going through it, being from from Major League Baseball. I get a little. Uh, 
insight into the NBA world, but him talking candidly about those years. What do you remember about those years in Cleveland? Because you had some really good teams. Yeah, yeah. I thought we were one of the teams that could beat uh, the Bulls. Uh, the, the one thing Michael had uh, and was the, the mental toughness part of the game. Uh, he always had that and, and took advantage of it. Uh, when I was in Cleveland, uh, the year that I thought uh, we could beat them, they beat us in the playoffs. He made a great shot, you know, and I won't go through all that, but, uh, you know, people forget that the play – Two plays before that, we were down one, and we called a timeout, and I set up a play where we ran a back door for Craig Elo, who scored, and put us up one. And then they got an opportunity, and that's when Michael made the shot uh, over Craig Elo. But Craig, you know, he made a tough shot, and you got to give him credit for it. But, uh, but people forget the play before that, Craig Elo made the backdoor basket we set up and uh, put us up one. But it was, uh, it was a wonderful time. Uh, then uh, what happened a year later, uh, they traded um, Ron Harper. Uh, uh, the front office didn't back me. They wanted to trade Ron. And there, you know, there are all kinds of stories circulating, you know, about Ron. But uh, Ron, like a lot of kids, he grew up, he knew some people, and, and there were some guys that he grew up with. He didn't, Ron never did drugs, never did drugs. And, uh, but he was linked to this guy. And so the Cavaliers wanted to get rid of him, and I couldn't talk them out of that, and they traded him away. And, and that's after that, we didn't win the next year. You know, because uh, we had no one that could guard Michael. And, and where Ron would always make it tough for Michael. So, so I thought that hurt us uh, uh, because we couldn't replace that. And, then, and I was so upset that I left after that. I mean, even though we won 56 games that year, I said, no, no, I, you know, I, I, I think it's time for me to leave because I was so upset. Uh, of the trade of Ron Harper, and uh, and that's when I went to the Hawks. But but you know it's uh, it, hey I'm a competitor just like everybody else. I wanted to win. Uh, I thought we had that opportunity there uh, in Cleveland. I had young guys like Mark Price, Brad Doherty, John Williams, Hot Rod Williams, uh, and we made a trade for Larry Nance. And and so uh, I thought that gave us a chance to compete, but we had great crowds in Cleveland. I mean, it was unbelievable because we used to have to play at Richfield Coliseum, which uh, was in the snow belt. And I don't care how it was snowing or whatever. We had 20,000 fans at the game every night. <laughs> and, uh, but it was, like I said, it was a great experience. And, but after them trading Ron and that took our edge away, I decided to leave. 1994, you're coach of the year. Uh, you go to the Hawks, and and uh, you're there through 2000, Toronto, and, and you finish out your coaching career with the New York Knicks. Um, 1990, dream team. Once again, Chuck, we had Barkley on for it seemed like hours and hours. He talked about that uh-huh. team, had some, had some really funny memories. Chuck Daly was was the head coach on that team. He was my neighbor in Florida. Chuck mm-hmm. lived two doors yeah. down from me in, in the 90s. Carlissimo, yourself, uh, Krzyzewski. Yeah. Um, that had to be unbelievable. It had to be like traveling with the Beatles, that crew that you guys had assembled. You know, Jordan, Magic, Bar. I mean, there's so many on that team. Um, what? Why was that so significant at the time? Well, it was the first time that uh, pros ever played in the Olympics, okay? And uh, and everybody didn't think that they would come together, you know, that the chemistry would be good and everything. Uh, but 
uh, we talked to the players, you know, and uh, Chuck and I got along extremely well. Uh, Chuck, was, he, he was like a good friend, too. And, and he asked me, you know, uh, several times to, to talk to the team. And, and, and like, uh, and I remember one time, uh, Charles, Charles could be very different, but he was a great, great competitor. And, and so I talked to the team and I, you know, I told them one time I had them all together, you know, uh, we had played a, a practice game before the, we went to the Olympics and, uh, we, uh, the college players, uh, were playing and, and our guys really weren't into it. And so, uh, we, uh, finally, uh, you know, after the first quarter, uh, in the second quarter, uh, Chuck got on the players. I got on them. And then we, uh, went out and, and the college team, I think it was eight, 10 minutes and they didn't score a basket because we wouldn't let them. And, uh, and then when we got to the Olympics, uh, Chuck asked me to talk to the guys again. And I just thought, I said to them, Hey, if we're as good as we think we are, let's show the world. Really, this is our opportunity to show the world that they have not caught up to the NBA. And so every game we went out there, our guys, all of them, competed. I mean, they, uh, from Larry Bird to, you know, uh, Charles Barkley, you know, uh, all of them, Michael, everybody. They gave their best, and and they challenged one another in practice to be ready. So it was the greatest experience of all. And and everywhere we went, we had to have security. It was unbelievable. I mean, just walking down the street in Barcelona was unbelievable. So so it was a wonderful experience. I I, I don't think there'll ever be another one like it. Uh, I was very blessed and fortunate. In '96, they asked me to coached the, the dream team number two. And we did that in Atlanta. And the same thing, uh, I, I challenged the players. I, I said, you know, if you think you're as good as dream team one, let's go out and show the world. And, and that's what they did. They went out there. They would not let the other team, whoever it was, get in the game. And so, uh, Wonderful experience, nothing like it uh, in the world. And uh, to uh, see uh, the Dream Team 1 get inducted into the Hall of Fame, all of the players, it, it was a wonderful experience. You look at the 92 team and the 96 teams. What were the differences for you? Uh, 90, 92 team, you were assistant coach. Like you said, 96, you were the head coach. Uh, but what were the differences in those two teams? Both well, ended up just in different goal, batch in of players, medal. different batch of players. You know, we had uh, Gary Payton, Mitch Richmond. We had, uh, you know, uh, I always have to take a look and see. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but they were all, all these guys were all stars. They had made names for themselves in the NBA. And here is a chance for them, you know, uh, to uh, make a name for themselves again uh, uh, throughout the world. So uh, to me, uh, it, 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 to me, it's, it's some of the great experiences. You know, growing up as a kid, I was a huge fan of watching the Olympics. And I didn't get selected, even though uh, my senior year in college, uh, I was the, uh, Jerry West and I was the co-MVP of the East-West All-Star Game. I was the MVP of the, uh, of the NIT. And, uh, and, and yet I didn't get selected to the Olympic team. And Pete Newell called me and apologized, you know, but, uh, you know, it was nice of him. And he said, I'd be first alternate. And I told him, I said, Pete, if I were on that team and I was hurt, I wouldn't tell you, <laughs> you know, cause, cause that, that was a big deal going to the Olympics. And so, but, you know, I wasn't bitter about it. Uh, it's just something that happened. And years later I became, you know, the head coach of the 96 Olympic team. 
Did you get uh, for the '92 team? Did did Chuck make that phone call to you and 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 ask you to be a part of it? And and if so, yeah. When you got the, yeah. you guys all got to, uh-huh. when Go you ahead. guys all got together and and were assembled, did you know how special of a group that you had? Oh yeah, yeah, I did. I knew these players. I mean, I coached some of them in All Star games, so I I knew how special it was. And and Chuck called me. Yeah, it, it was a one. It was wonderful. He uh, we talked, and he said, I know. Uh, you know, I mean, he he was really good, and uh, so I, I accepted and said yes, I would be happy to be a part of that. And uh, so we, uh, it, it turned out great, and turned out great. But yeah, I knew. I mean, uh, li- listen, when you're uh, playing in the NBA and then coaching in the NBA, and you know, coached a couple of All Star games. Come on, I I knew who this talent was. Awesome. Uh, two gold medals ended up in, and we get to, and this is this is really once again you're you're one of the few guys that that uh, can be asked these questions. 1989, uh, you get inducted in the Hall of Fame as a player. 1998, you get inducted in the Hall of Fame as a coach. 2010, the Dream Team induction. Any different? Just as rewarding. Um, when you got that phone call, first of all, as a player, because that's what we all do first is we play. That's our passion and is what we do. Uh, the highest honor when you get that phone call. Take me through that. For, I guess take me through that phone call that as uh, getting that call from the hall that, that you're going to be a Hall of Famer. Well, it was a complete shock. The first one, you know, I mean. You know, you always want to be as good as you can be. I was told that as a youngster, but you don't know where your future is going to go. And uh, so, yeah, every time you step on the floor, try and be the best that you can be. And uh, and I tell that to young people too, you know, and I, I don't care whether it's sports, politics, medical profession, whatever it is, is uh, give it your best shot you know, try to do the best that you can do. And so, yeah, to get the call and and let you know that you're going to be there, uh, it's not something that you can plan for, you know? I mean, I think, I don't, I don't think that growing up, you know what direction you're going to go in. I always thought I was going to be a, 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 a teacher. You know, I had a high school teacher that I was so impressed with because he made you feel like you were right there when it was happening. Uh, and so I, I was always fascinated with that, but then who knows, you know, uh, uh life, life <laughs> goes where it wants to go. And, uh, so I've been blessed. I've been very fortunate. You know, like I said, I traveled the world. I've met all kinds of people and, uh, and basketball was the route. It was the, what gave me that opportunity to, uh, encounter all these things. 98, you get inducted as a coach. I already mentioned that. 2010, the Dream Team. 2006, uh, you're inducted into the College Hall of Fame. You got them all covered, Lenny. Uh, you're on the 50th anniversary team, the 75th anniversary team, voted uh, top 10 greatest coaches of all time. Uh, and the resume goes on and on and on. Uh, all the things you've done in your career. Um, wow, that's a lot. Top three moments, specialist, uh, most special to, to Lenny Wilkins. Well, um, I, I've been blessed with a lot of things, but uh, certainly uh, winning the championship in Seattle uh, is at the top of it all. I mean, really. Uh, it, um, like I said, you get so many opportunities, but uh, to actually win it, uh, that, that, that has to be special. And, and then, of course, right up there, you know, with the rest is uh, being inducted into the Hall of Fame three times. I mean, I, I, you know, no one has been there or had that happen. And, uh, and, and then, you know, uh, I uh, got an opportunity to meet Nelson Mandela when we traveled uh, to Africa uh, a few years ago. And uh, I was so impressed with him as a human being, you know, I asked him how come he wasn't bitter 
you know, because I sort of sell. I went to Robbins Island, and I sort of sell that he was in for 20-something years. And uh, he said, because I wanted to do something for my people. And, you know, that that's humility. That's unbelievable. And uh, so, you know, uh, and, and, and of course, uh, I have to tell you this. I, I have a ring that my wife had made for me. Uh, we This year, we celebrated our 60th anniversary, okay? Uh, we've been married. Uh, it, it, this ring that says a 50 has a lot of diamonds around it and everything. And whenever I wear it, people think it's from the 50 greatest players. And I said, no, it's even more special than that. And then when I tell them the story, they can't believe it. And then people ask my wife, and she said, well, he was on the road half of the time. <laughs> That's right. We turned it into a 25. I know how that is. <laughs> yeah. Well, Lenny Wilkins, it's, it's been a uh... – a privilege. This has been this has been great catching up and, and hearing about your uh, unbelievable story, Mandela, uh, Jackie Robinson, Dream Team. I mean, you've done it all. The life that you've led, pretty special uh, and very humble about uh, all your accolades, and there's so many of them. But as we do each and every Boone podcast, at the end of the podcast, we kick it back to the voice of the podcast, and that voice is Dan Levy. Dan. Gentlemen, nice job on a great podcast. Coach Wilkins, I have one question for you. Okay. It's the one that everyone's always going to ask you because there was just a uh, documentary on the Redeem Team, and people want to know, who do you think would win at a game, the Redeem Team or the Dream Team? I'm always going to pick the Dream Team. (laughs) Uh, That was a special time. And uh, to see how the team came together, even though, you know, there was uh, competition between all these guys when they were with their own team, uh, they put it together to show the world just how good they were. So that was special. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, sir. We really appreciate it. Okay. Well, thank you. And it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. That's going to do it for the Brett Boone Podcast. My name is Dan Levy, the technical director, producer, voice of the Boone Podcast. EP, executive producer, Rich Herrera Digital. All gets uploaded by Liz Landry. Do us a favor, share the Boone Podcast. Neighbors and friends and all those that love sports, make sure you subscribe. Never miss an episode. And while you're at it, give us a five-star rating and share your feelings about the podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Boone Podcast, he is Brett Boone. You can find him on social media at the Boone 29. I'm Dan Levy, BASS on air. That is base on air, all of my social medias. Thanks for listening. We'll do it again soon. Have a great one.